0: welcome to the london first baptist church podcast this is the sunday morning service from december 26 2021 with pastor brett cottrell you may be seated we've already read portions of the patches we're going to be in this morning in luke chapter 2 so i would encourage you to open up your bibles to that spot Luke chapter 2, this of course is the morning after Christmas and we have been celebrating and opening gifts and spending time with family and eating lots of food, and all those types of things. And as we come to our passage this morning, we find ourselves some 40 days past the moment, past that scene in the manger, a scene in the stable when Jesus was born. We are some 40 days past the angels showing up to the shepherds and Them arriving at the scene and and offering their worship. So we're some 40 days again from the birth of Christ as we get into Luke chapter 2. And we are going to find ourselves introduced this morning to two more people. Now, we all know, we perhaps are familiar with the story about how the angels showed up to the shepherds. And the shepherds were, in many ways, the very first witnesses of the birth of Christ. They were the very first witnesses, other than Mary and Joseph, to the glory that is the birth of our Savior. The shepherds showed up, they worshiped, they had the angels, the angels showed up, and all those things that we know that story. We probably are familiar with the wise men, the magi. Now, we may not be thinking too much about this morning as the magi are probably not going to arrive in Jesus' doorstep for some time now, uh, maybe for another, upwards of another year uh, before they're going to show up. So, in the meantime, between the wise men and, and the magi, God actually brings, if you will, two more people that we probably could include with the nativity story as much as we do the wise men and the shepherds, because their role is every bit as important and every bit the same as the wise men and the shepherds were. Just as those groups testified and worshiped and and, uh, gave witness to who Jesus is, so do our two people that we're going to meet this morning, and that is Simeon and Anna. And we might be familiar with them, we might not be, we probably don't hear as much about them in general as we hear about the other two we just mentioned, but we're going to meet them this morning and see the unique place that God has given them in our history. So Luke chapter 2, I want to begin actually by going back to verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. When eight days had passed, this is eight days, by the way, from Jesus' birth, when eight days had passed before His circumcision, His name was then called Jesus, the name given him. By the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And we're going to pause there. We've we've already read the majority of the rest of the scripture. We're going to get to some more in a moment. But just to kind of set set things up for you here, there are three things mentioned in this passage that are happening. First, we saw the circumcision of Christ there in verse 21. That would have taken place again on the eighth day after His birth. And then the next two things that are mentioned in verse 22, the days of their purification. And then you also had to offer a sacrifice there to dedicate Him there in verse 24. Now, what is going on with those two things? Well, according to the law of Moses, according to Jewish tradition, on the eighth day, that male child will be circumcised. But there were still 33 more days to uh, do what they would call the, the rites of purification. And so Mary in particular would have to wait for another 33 days after the circumcision before she was allowed to resume worship in the temple. She had to go through all the rites and all the things that are uh, come along with that. So in circumcision, on that eighth day after his birth, circumcision was to mark that male child, as a descendant of Abraham, to bring them into the the covenant of God that God made with the people of Israel. It marked that not only was that male child, in this case Jesus, part of the covenant, part of the Jewish people, but that He was also subject to and underneath the the law of God that He had given through Moses to the people of Israel. So the very first thing that happens, besides Jesus' birth, and of course His birth marks Him as one of us, as as God made flesh, as a human. But uh, his circumcision would have marked him now as, a, as part of the covenant community of the people of God, subject to the law of Moses. So Jesus is already in the process of identifying himself with that which comes before him. And then as these days of purification are taking place, again, by the time we get to that, that's 40 days after his birth. Uh, Mary and Jesus would have gone through, uh, after he gone through the birth, would have gone through this, these rites, these ceremonies that would have declared themselves ready to re-enter public worship, if you will. So all that would have been taken place. Now, part of what's happening here is this. You might ask a question, why would Mary have to go through some type of purification process to be able to allow to, to worship in the temple again? And there's, there's a history behind this, but it's short. The idea was this, that... Uh, the The joy of birth, the joy of new life, is also tempered or colored by this that that one who was born is born into sin. Every child born to to, to human beings are born with a sin nature. and this harkens back to that idea it's a reminder to all those who are born, all those families that while we look forward to Messiah and we are enjoying life, there's also sin present. So this would be a way of kind of reminding them of that and preparing their hearts for the coming work of, of Christ, even though they wouldn't necessarily have known all those details. And then the third thing that's mentioned here is this, this idea that they would present Him to the Lord there in the temple, the end of verse 22 and verse 23 and 24. What's, what's going on there? If we were to go back to places like Levitic or Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers 3, we would find this, that coming out of Exodus, coming out of the freedom that God's people had out, had out of slavery. Remember the story of the Exodus? And so uh, that Passover, that time of Exodus, that last of the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt was the death of the firstborn for all whose, all homes who did not have the blood over the doorposts. And of course, the people of Israel, their firstborn were spared, unlike the, the firstborn of Egypt, their firstborn were spared because of the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost. But what God also did as a result of that was He gave, He told them in Exodus 13 and elsewhere in Leviticus that the result is this every firstborn of Israel, whether it be a cow or a lamb or a male child, every firstborn, He says, belongs to me. One, because it's a reminder to you that the cost of your freedom was the firstborn of Egypt. And then secondly, the firstborn, he says, belongs to me. And the idea there is to be set aside for service to God. Now, you may remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at the birth of Samuel, that, uh, that Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord. She brought him up to the temple to serve the Lord. He spent the rest of his life there serving the Lord as a priest and as a prophet in the worship area of, of Israel. Well, it's much the same idea. Every firstborn male was to be set aside for this, pro- for this process. But what happened was this. As they brought him to the temple, God had also done something else. He had set aside one tribe of Israel, the Levites, the tribe of Levi. Moses and Aaron, by the way, were of the tribe of Levi. And God had set aside the Levites and said, you will be a tribe unique, and your your specific goal will be to serve me in in the temple, in the tabernacle. And so the idea is, this: okay, we have the tribe of Israel, we have the the tribe of Levi, but we also have the firstborn. So what happens? Well, you come up with your firstborn, if you're from the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Simeon or or wherever. You bring your firstborn son to the temple. You, You set him aside. You dedicate him to the Lord for the Lord's service. And then he is redeemed. The family would make a sacrifice, and they would pay around five shekels of silver, probably a few bucks three or four bucks in, in, our, in, our, in our time frame. And the idea would be this. You bring him, you set him aside for service to the Lord, and then you buy him back, five bucks, so to speak. You redeem him, and the Lord gives him back to you because the tribe of Levi is going to take his spot. Do you, you, you see some, uh, some pictures there? So when they, when they bring Jesus here on day 40, what they're doing is completing Mary's purification to allow her to re-enter the temple And then they're also redeeming. They they dedicate Christ, they redeem him, so to speak, so they can go home and take him and raise him. The Redeemer redeemed, so to speak. Not because he was sinful, but you, you get the picture that's being sent there. So this is what's happening. When they bring him to the temple 40 days after his birth, all this stuff is wrapped up. Even then we're seeing pictures of what he's going to ultimately be and what he's going to ultimately do. So they bring him to the temple, and while they're there, a guy shows up. Now, verse 25, we saw there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He's righteous and devout, looking for the consolation you may have, of the restoration of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, as we look at Simeon, I want us to note a couple things. It might be our assumption, it would have been mine, that Simeon was at the temple. He probably was a priest. However, does the Scripture ever say he was a priest? No. In fact, it just says there's a guy named Simeon. Now, you know, in Luke chapter 1, we had an angel show up to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, and then made sure and told us that he was a priest. I think it's highly likely that Simeon is not a priest. He's just a guy. (laughs) Simeon is a man who is devout. He is righteous. He's a man clearly upon the Holy, upon whom the Holy Spirit has fallen and is, and is evident in his, in his life. Simeon's a guy, an older gentleman, no, light, no doubt, but he's is, he is just a guy that God's working through. The shepherds have already been there, and now Simeon shows up. And Simeon shows up looking for, spending his life looking for the consolation of Israel. By the way, those two words, devout and righteous, they have slightly different ideas behind them. The idea of being devout has this idea that he has devoted himself to the love and the service of God. Righteousness there in this particular context has the idea of living out that devotion to God by how he treats those around him. So this is a guy who were, uh, everyone around him would have recognized him as not only devoted to and loving the Lord, but that his love of the Lord impacts how he lives with other people. By the way, that's a pretty good place to start 2022, isn't it? To not only be devoted to the Lord, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, but at least to the, that second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is who Simeon is. If we as believers, by the way, can get this for 2022, to be devoted to the Lord and then have that impact, our language and how we treat others, that's a pretty good place to start. This is who Simeon is. He's devout and he's righteous. He has that reputation. He's not a priest. He's simply a man devoted to the Lord, called by God to do something to give witness to the Messiah. He shows up as Mary and Joseph are keeping the law and the rituals as they know them. And he was looking for what is called the consolation of Israel. You may have the word comfort. You may have the word restoration. This is a phrase that is geared towards looking for the Messiah. Simeon's life at this point in time is wrapped up in looking for the one whom God is going to send. He's waiting for him. Again, a pretty good example for us because we are told more than once in the New Testament to do what as far as the second coming of Christ. We, we just got done on Wednesday nights with a study of Revelation. And if we could narrow down Revelation to a couple things, it would be this be ready and be looking. He's coming back. Here's how to recognize him. It's less about politics and less about uh, this nationality, where this guy's coming from. It's about looking for Christ. And, and Simeon is looking for the Messiah. And that he sees the Messiah as something called the consolation. Now, let, let me just delve into a little bit of, of Greek here for you. I know you love Greek. but You were really hoping this morning on Christmas weekend you got a little Greek involved. Amen. Okay, well, good for you, Greg. <laughs> um, that word comfort, or that word consolation, there is also the word comfort. It's a word called paraclesis. Now, if you've done a little study in the New Testament, you may recognize that, sort of. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to His disciples the night before He's crucified. And He says, it's good for you that I'm leaving, because in my place I will send another. His name is called the Comforter. Guess what word that is? Paraclete. Paraclete. It's the same, it's just different versions of the same word. The Spirit is called in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit Himself is called our Comforter. Simeon is looking for the Comforter. He's looking for the comfort of Israel, the consolation, the arrival of Messiah. We're going to get back to that point because that's really cool. This is what Simeon's doing. He's looking for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And guess where he's going to find that? Not in a political program, not in a military uh, takeover. He's going to find it in the presence of God made flesh. He's going to find it in God with us. That's where he's going to find his comfort. That's where the comfort of Israel is going to be found. He's li- found, he's living his life With this expectation, and he's been told by God he will not leave this life until he has seen the comfort of Israel. Comfort is a big deal in Scripture. It's not just a new thing to the New Testament. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, places like Lamentations. In Lamentations chapter 1, uh, Jeremiah the prophet writes this, and he's mourning, if you will, he's sad about the loss of Jerusalem to conflict, to warfare, to Babylon. And he says this, She, that Jerusalem, weeps bitterly in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks, for she has no one to comfort her. In other words, it feels to them as if God's presence is no longer there. He continues in Lamentations chapter 1, he says this, For these things I weep, Jeremiah says, my eyes run with water, because far from me is a comforter, one who would restore my soul. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah is lamenting not just what happened to Jerusalem, he's lamenting and weeping because there's no comfort. There's no, the Lord is not providing what it is that they think they need, what it is they believe they need. God's presence was the comfort of Israel. And we may ask the question sometimes, even in today. We all know what it is to have gone through difficulty. You know, 2020, 2021 were years that had some unique challenges, and some unique that presented unique struggles and unique pain for many people. But the reality is, you don't have to live through COVID or all the things that took place the last couple of years to know that there's lots of things that hurt. There's lots of things that cause pain. You know, one of the things that's difficult sometimes is we know people who have gone through difficult, hurtful, painful suffering type of things maybe even the last few years the last few months or even the last few days and sometimes we find ourselves thinking to ourselves i don't know what to say i don't know what to do to help you know the reality is just because i'm a pastor does not mean i could walk into a room and make everybody feel better <laughs> i'd love that gift <laughs> I think most of us would. would you just love the ability to walk into a room and say the magic words and everyone just be better? I don't have that. But what we do have is the presence of the Comforter. The presence of Messiah. Now, you and I, we may not have magic words or even the ability to fix any and every circumstance people may find themselves in or we may find ourselves in, but what we do have is the ability to be there. The truth is, the comfort that Simeon is looking for, this comfort that he's talking about is really the comfort of presence. It is God with us. It is the the restoration of Israel he's looking for is the presence of God. The Old Testament is full of, ep- of episodes when Israel had rebelled or turned away from God and what they wanted was God's presence. So the comfort that Simeon is looking for is the presence of God. Again, so many times what you and I can do as a church, what we, you and I can do as people and as believers is not so much about the magic words or something we can do to fix a problem that someone may be going, it's sometimes it's just being there. You know, you and I have the ability the presence of the Spirit, as followers of Christ, to simply in our presence, comfort. Sometimes just sitting in a room, sometimes just being there is enough to be the, com- the comfort of presence. But wait, let me add another layer to that as a church, as followers of Christ who have been placed into the lives of people, maybe people from work or people with common interests, people that you just kind of know throughout the course of life, maybe some of whom are dealing with loneliness or, or suffering or, or pain. We can be witnesses to the comfort of God by simply being there to be engaged with those around us. As a church, as believers, it is not our calling to isolate ourselves from the world, to look at the world around us and look at all the troubles out there and say, well, I'm glad I'm not part of that. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. But to be in the middle of it. I'm going I'm to brag on some family a little bit here. I, I've got, uh, uh, this weekend, we got to spend time with our family and I got to, Uh, have a conversation yesterday with my niece and my nephew. I've got a niece and a nephew, both who are entering the medical field. And we got to talk through, uh, 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 one is uh, just a a couple years into college, one is actually, she's actually in medical school right now. And they've talked about some of the challenges that they've already begun to deal with, about how to carry out that profession with what they believe, or what, the, what the, the, the biblical mandate, the biblical ethic, and all the challenges that are facing that. And they're, they're working through what it means to be the presence of God, the comfort of God to those whom they're going to be dealing with in the future. That's a fantastic conversation to have. Perhaps most of us in this room this morning are not going to be reacting or talking to people as a doctor or as a nurse, but we are going to be dealing with people who are hurting, and we can do so Not as those who have all the answers or some magic fix, but as simply as those who have the presence of the comforter with them. And we can be that not by isolating ourselves from the world and not dealing with the problems, but by being right there in the middle of the world with people and all that's going on. So whatever your job this morning, whatever your role in life, retired, working, teacher at a plant, working at Walmart, whatever it might be, God's placed you somewhere so you can be His presence. Now, a few years ago, we, we, we talked about something like this. We, uh, you know, it seemed like over the last several years, there's been a number of school shootings. And it seemed like every time that happens, it's, it, it horrifies us as it should. It's tragic. It breaks our hearts as it should. And uh, I remember four or five years ago, one of the, one of the worst ones we'd seen. And, and I'm sorry, but a lot of sarcastic Christians were saying, well, this is what you get when you take God out of schools. Let me tell you something. If we have believers in schools, then God is not absent from our schools. You are there. We are there. We are the presence of God. And our solution is not to be sarcastic, but to be instruments of peace and comfort in the middle of those things. We have that opportunity in front of us this next year. This is what Simeon is looking for. David longed for it. Psalm 13, David asks this question. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? You know what David's feeling? He's feeling abandoned. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? He's missing what he thinks is the presence of God. He thinks God's presence has left him. And then it hits him, and later on in the exact same psalm, David says this, I have trusted your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he's been good to me. David begins the psalm wondering where God is, thinking that God has, been, has abandoned him, thinking that God's comfort is no longer there. And then he realizes by the end of the psalm that, oh, he's been there the entire time, and it's worth singing and shouting and rejoicing about. We can bring that. We could bring that this morning. Being a follower of Christ means to be present in the lives of those around us and even in this world. This is what prompts Isaiah 40, a, verse, a chapter we often look at in the context of, of Christmas. Isaiah 40 says this, Comfort, comfort, you hear that word? Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, her iniquity has been forgiven And then the next verse says, a voice is crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. What is the comfort that he's talking about in Isaiah 40? It is the coming and the presence of the Lord. See, we can not only just be present to offer comfort, but we can, you and I, speak to those around us, whether they be believers or unbelievers, and offer them comfort in this, The Lord's coming. He's on his way. And then help them understand how to be ready for his appearance. This is what John the Baptist was doing. It's much the same role that we have today. Now does Simeon know all these details? Perhaps not. But he knows he's looking for the comfort of Israel, and the comfort of Israel is in the promised one of God. Emmanuel, God with us. So he shares all this with them. He he gives a a song, if you will, there in chapter 2. And he says, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant. You've kept your promise, if you will. And I have seen your salvation. A salvation prepared for the people in light of Revelation. The Gentiles there in verse 32. The glory of your people, Israel. Now, we could spend a long time just on each one of those phrases. But let me just sum it up by saying this. He's indicating already to Mary, Joseph, and to us that the mission and the purpose of this one called Jesus is to be a light to all nations. Not just to Israel, not just to the Greeks, not just to the Romans, not just to the Egyptians, not just to the Americans, but to everybody. Everyone. And he says, he goes on to to say this, and that light to the Gentiles will be the glory of your people. What does that mean? It means that our glory, our boast, our victory is in the kept promises and the presence of God. Our glory this morning is not anything that we might accomplish, that we might point to and go, Look what I did. The glory of London First Baptist Church is not in this building, it's not in the campus. It's not in who works here or how many people show up on a Sunday morning. The glory of the people of London First Baptist Church, the glory of God's people is the kept promises of God. It's Jesus Himself. And again, I mentioned Revelation a while ago. If you look at Revelation, one of the major themes of that is the people of God crying out for help. In Revelation, they cry out, the people of God do. Say, God, vindicate us. In other words, prove us right. Make sure that the world knows that we weren't Uh, we weren't wrong to trust you. And the glory of God's people is that there will be a day when it's evident to everybody that to trust God was the right decision. It's not because we somehow had insight. It was because God kept His promises. The glory that we have this morning is not the glory of nice decorations or candles or even good food. It's the glory of the presence and the kept promises of God. If we have something to point people to this week or this year, it's not all this other stuff. It is the presence and the glory and the faithfulness of God. He's worth talking about. He's worth pointing people to. He's worth boasting. Paul says, my boast is in God and in Christ alone. Now, we're not done. Simeon is a, is a testimony to who Jesus is, but while Simeon's talking to them, verse 36 There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. So we have an 84-year-old woman, uh, married, again, most. Women in that day and age got married as teenagers. She probably was married between the ages of 14 and 17. Was married for seven years, so she probably was married into her early 20s. And then she's been now widowed since then, without, without children, it appears. So she has spent upwards of 60-something years, probably more, as a widow without kids. And she has been spending that time fasting and praying and serving the Lord in the temple there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> Anna was one of those ladies that you wanted them praying for you. <laughs> by the way, we have some folks in this church like that. We have some folks in our church that you want praying for you. And some of them meet on Tuesday mornings, by the way. If you, 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 we've got prayer request cards in the, in the seats and the, in, in the chairs. Um, you need prayer. If you'll fill those cards out or let us know on Facebook or just call the church, we will let these ladies know. I'm telling you, we have some ladies you want praying for you. I'll just tell you right now, I I wish I didn't have to say this, but I won't won't say it this way. You have some people that you would rather have them pray for you than me. (laughs) They pray. Anna is one of those people. She fasts and she prays. And while Simeon is talking to Mary and Joseph, Anna walks up on this thing. And she recognizes what's happening, and she begins telling everybody. Now, on the one hand, we know that in that day and age, regardless of Anna's spiritual walk, the the plight of women was such that they just weren't listened to that much. That's just the reality. And that culture, the testimony of women, was, was, was not regarded much. But by the way, neither were shepherds. And who does God have set up here in Jerusalem to make sure everyone knows who this baby is? It's, it's a woman, a godly woman, a praying woman. And she recognizes through in what Simeon's going on. She recognizes the conversation. She recognizes who Christ is. And she begins giving thanks to God and continues to speak of the Messiah, of Jesus, of that child to everyone who is looking. God's using her as a witness, as a testimony to who Christ is. Now, some of this is going on here is this. Let me, let me say this. Simeon's looking for the consolation of Israel, the comfort, the peace of Israel, and this child, Jesus Christ, of course, is going to be that. It doesn't mean that Mary and Joseph's life, and by the way, the peace of God does not mean, the comfort of God does not mean that our lives are going to be always easy. Look at what Simeon and ultimately, Anna will affirm to Mary. Verse 34, Simeon says, This child's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. I've talked about comfort. And we, we recognize that Jesus... Point is we we recognize the position of Christ, and we recognized okay the fall and rise of many. There were some who will believe and some who will be lifted up and some who will uh, reject and be torn down. And even amongst the quote disciples of Christ, we've got a Peter who betrayed Jesus in his own way, denied even knowing Christ, but obviously through repentance of faith is lifted up and made an apostle. And you have Judas. The rise and the fall of many. You have those who rejected, those who believed, and those who did not. But he goes on to tell her that he will be assigned to be opposed. It has this idea that he's going to walk around with a bullseye on his back. That he's a target. Your son, he says to Mary, will be one who will be targeted and attacked. And on top of that, Mary, he says, your own soul will be pierced. We talked about this last week. When that angel shows up to to Mary to announce to her what's about to take place, and she responds, with, whatever you say, Lord, will be done to me, I accept it. And she recognizes that God's grace has been poured out upon her. But we also recognize that when God's grace and God's favor was poured out upon Mary, it also meant that she's going to suffer like few people suffered, as she watches her son nailed to a cross. And even here in chapter 2, Simeon says, Your soul, Mary, will be pierced. Yes, your son will be this. Your son's going to be all this. Your son is the comfort, the consolation, the peace of Israel. But also, Mary, he may be that. But for you, it may, it's going to mean this your soul will be pierced. Just because we have God's grace and God's comfort and God's peace does not mean that we'll be painless. In fact, Sometimes to be an instrument of peace, to be an instrument of comfort, means to suffer in the process. This, for Mary, is the case. So as Simeon and Anna come alongside her to affirm for her what the future holds and who that baby is, we see some incredible things. We see the next two witnesses. We see the consolation of Israel. We also see our peace this morning. and the one that we have that can offer peace to those around us. It may be that the majority of the people you know who do not know Christ, they may not necessarily be looking for the peace of Israel, but they're looking for some peace. They may not be looking for the consolation of the presence of God through Messiah, but they're looking for some consolation. They're looking for some comfort. They're looking for their soul to be at rest even when the circumstances of life are difficult. And you and I may have no magic words, but we do have the Comforter. We can be present. It may mean that in bringing the Comforter and being present, it hurts us. Like it did Mary. But you and I as followers of Christ are called to bring the comfort of Israel.